You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunkin' with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan side and network. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy Timberwolves game day. It's been a couple days since the Wolves' most recent loss. They sit at two and four facing the Denver Nuggets in the second half of a home and home series this evening. So we will break down that game a little bit. Of course, they just played the Nuggets, so we don't need to do a a massive preview about Denver. Uh, But I do want to break down how the Denver Nuggets used Nikola Jokic in the offense and how he came up with 12 assists against the Timberwolves the other day, what the Wolves could do to try and slow down Jokic, who is averaging a triple-double and and just extremely dominant. When Jokic was off the floor, the Wolves actually played fairly well against Denver on Sunday. When he was on the floor, especially late in the game, basically he did whatever he wanted, and it was like everything, the whole game slowed down because Jokic kind of operates in slow motion, and he's so effective at it. The Wolves could not slow the Nuggets offense down at all, however, and that was ultimately their downfall. So I want to break down basically that fourth quarter and then overall how the Nuggets use Jokic in their offense. I also want to break down how the Timberwolves use Malik Beasley in their offense. I wrote about this at Dunking with Wolves uh, that published on Monday evening, and I wanted to kind of hit the high points on that and how I think Beasley's been effective this year and how the Wolves could use him moving forward to improve what's been a really a poor offense, um, to, to put it, I guess, mildly so far. They're a bottom five offense in the league, which there's no excuse for that, towns or no towns, um, given the talent on the roster. So I'll start by hitting a couple of, of notes type news injury report for tonight's game. And then again, I want to break down the Wolves and Beasley in their offense, the Nuggets, Jokic in their offense in advance of this evening's game. Um, of course, Wednesday's show, we'll, we'll talk studs and duds, high points, low points from the game on Tuesday. And then we'll probably also talk power rankings. I was going to going to talk about that on today's show, but I think it, it makes it's more timely to talk about Jokic and Beasley. Um, and we can visit this week's power rankings on Wednesday's show. So that is still upcoming. As always, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, that includes iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. That's at LockedOnTWolves. Don't forget the T. We live tweeting the game this evening from both that account as well as uh, from my personal account at Beacon. So be sure that you're following both accounts tonight uh, for Wolves Nuggets. All right, so let's start with just a couple of quick news uh, note type things. First is uh, Brian Windhorst at ESPN published something early on uh, this morning, actually Tuesday morning, about the potential sale of the Timberwolves. We haven't really talked about that much in the last few months. Part of that's because it's gone pretty silent. And the other part of it, obviously, is is the NBA offseason was kind of condensed into like October through December, pretty much. So we've had a lot of other things to talk about, but there also just hasn't been much news. The last we heard is that Daniel Strauss, the former minority owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, had a uh, had entered into a, a, an exclusive negotiating agreement. I think it was like a 21 day window or something back in early September that expired. The team was not sold, and there just hasn't been much out there about it. I think it was Darren Wolfson locally at uh, KSTP and Score North who had reported in the past few weeks that he had had a conversation with Glenn Taylor and, and basically Taylor admitted there was a, a strong possibility he might own the team 12 months from now. Uh, he may still be the owner because he's not exactly desperate to sell and he's not going to sell it for pennies on the dollar and he's not going to sell it to somebody who's going to move the team. So Brian Windhorst, who had had some reporting back in the fall, which is I, I think probably the last time I talked about this on the podcast, Windhorst had talked about how the Wolves weren't going to fetch, you know, basically what Glenn wants to get if he's not going to allow them to move the team and, and was kind of poo-pooing the wolves as a, uh, as 
worth what they think that they're worth or what worth what Taylor thinks that they're worth. Talked about target centers, a bottom five arena, even with the renovations. I'm not going to argue that point. Um, but, and then shortly after that, the Utah jazz were sold, or I think it was around that same time the jazz were sold and were valued at over 1.6 billion, which is somewhere between uh two and $300 million more than what the wolves have been valued out by Forbes and, and the rumor of it being, you know, 1.3 to 1.5 billion possibly less than that if if the contingency of not relocating the team still exists. So um, basically, Windhorse article was was from the lens of NBA expansion. And so he talked about how uh, about how the, the league is still exploring expansion. But if the Wolves aren't sold for anything close to what Taylor thinks they're worth, what Forbes said that they were worth, or if the Wolves can't sell right now with the with the stipulation of not relocating the team, it puts the NBA in a tough spot to expand to a city like Seattle or Las Vegas or elsewhere. Um, and Taylor is so far stuck to his guns and it seems like he will be, uh, or he will continue to do so in terms of not relocating the team. Um, the Windhorse deals a little bit with the wolves are seen as an attractive team for relocating given the, uh, only a $50 million buyout with the arena, with the city. And then also, uh, the fact that they missed the playoffs, you know, 15 of the past 16 seasons and are at the bottom near attendant in attendance for all those reasons. He says, Windhorse says that the wolves are seen as an attractive franchise to purchase and relocate to one of those other markets. Of course, the attendance thing is, is a little misleading because obviously the attendance isn't going to be extremely strong when the team has been so consistently terrible. And by any, uh, I don't know, any, almost any other measure. And I get that attendance is the one that matters the most, but the Timberwolves fan base is obviously extremely strong. You look at how many, I mean, this is super anecdotal, but how many blogs and podcasts, and actually it's not. If you look at where blogs and podcasts are ranking based on the Timberwolves fan base and how bad they've been over the past, however long, there's plenty of outstanding Timberwolves blogs and podcasts and, and, and they all do very well because the Timberwolves fan base is really engaged. Timberwolves, you know, Twitter, uh, it, within the market back when the Timberwolves were good, the Wolves were selling out consistently. And you could make the argument that back, you know, in, in Garnett's heyday, they were, you know, this was the number two team in the, in the Minneapolis market, I guess it was right at the start of the Minnesota wild, kind of right around that time. The Vikings were good at the time. Um, you know, the twins weren't as much, but the Timberwolves were certainly one of the top two, you know, three teams in the market and were doing very well, both from a TV perspective and, and an attendance perspective. So, and, and Wolfson, or excuse me, Windhorse notes this in his article that Utah Salt Lake city is a much smaller market than Minneapolis. That team went for 1.66 billion. Uh, that buyer was more motivated. He's a Utah native, a big jazz fan, somebody who wanted to own the team actually had expressed some interest apparently in the Timberwolves before the jazz sale got done. So, I mean, Minneapolis is a good basketball market. It's a, it's a good place to be. It's a big market. Um, the only real knock on having a team in Minnesota is that it's more challenging to build a winner because you're not going to be a player in free agency. That's about it. It's a big market. You can make money. People like basketball there. They do well when the team's good. You got to find somebody to make to to build the team into a contender and, and to be able to convince people to come out to games by consistently performing and and by winning and by having on-court success. And Glenn Taylor clearly, you know, hopes and, and probably, I'm sure thinks he's done that with Gerson Rosas. The time will tell. Obviously, the, this season hasn't gotten off to a great start, but um, there's certainly promise with where this franchise is headed in, in relation to that. And that's going to impact the potential sale of the franchise. With You know, we saw the number one pick didn't impact that at all. Nothing got done. Um, and Windhorse notes this in his article that a big part of that was because Strauss revised his offer after he realized 
that there weren't going to be tons of fans allowed at Target Center or any other arena for that matter this year. Um, and so that's that's the the main wrinkle in this whole thing is 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 the short term losses for everybody, right? I mean, there's only I think three or four teams allowing any fans in their arena. The Timberwolves are not, and they probably won't this year, or at least not very many. Um, so there's a lot of wrinkles throughout this process. I think that Windhorse is pretty consistently selling short uh, the value of the Timberwolves franchise and 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 the fact that they will have success at, from a revenue perspective as a business, if they can have any semblance of on-court success, because the market uh, in the Twin Cities is is ready to have a winning basketball team. Even in the Jimmy Butler year, the team did quite well in terms of interest in drawing fans. And, um, and there was no, I mean, the, people were ready. People were ready for a team to go to the playoffs. And, and the Wolves needs to do that consistently in order to make this a slam dunk purchase for anybody that buys the team from Glenn Taylor. But all that to say, it's out there. I don't know that there's much news in the article, uh, but head over to ESPN. It's an ESPN Plus article, so you do need a subscription. Um, and it's just it just talks about how Glenn's run into. I think there's a quote from an anonymous owner, a different owner, that says that he's gotten uh, quote unquote tepid interest or offer tepid offers. I think is what it said. Um, so go check that out if you can. Not a ton of actual breaking news, but interesting to get a little bit of an update from a national perspective on on the situation. Um, and then the injury-related update is that both Jalen Noel and uh, Josh Kogi are listed as questionable for Tuesday night's game against Denver. Um, no sense for whether or not, you know, obviously that generally means there's a 50-50 shot those guys play, but they were both listed as out two days ago for whatever that's worth. Towns is still listed as out. And there's been no meaningful update on his uh, status for the game. So hopefully the Wolves can get a Kogi back who can help check Jamal Murray. Jarrett Culver had some serious issues doing that the other day. Um, and then also, uh, obviously, I mean, Jalen Noel having a little bit of a scoring punch. I, you know, I think you have to find minutes for him, at, you know, a few minutes here and there early to try and see if he can add um, some consistent floor spacing. I mean, having him standing in the corner is much, uh, uh, I, I mean, I guess you'd say there's a higher ceiling on having Jalen Noel standing in the corner, hopefully shooting 40% on threes than Jarrett Culver or, I mean, Josh Okogi or at the moment, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's not making threes. Noel, I know he struggled last year at the NBA level, but he shot the ball well in Iowa, shot the ball well in preseason and, and is a good spot up shooter. So having him available is it would be really nice and finding him minutes would obviously be the next step there. So um, next I want to get into how the Denver Nuggets use Nikola Jokic and how Jokic did most of his damage against the Timberwolves on Sunday. And then we'll cover Malik Beasley and the Timberwolves offense, how Minnesota is using him so far this year and how Beasley's been so effective to this point. Before we do that, though, let's talk about our great friends at betonline.ag. Are you ready for playoff NFL football? That's this weekend, obviously NBA games every single day of the week, College basketball's well underway into conference play. There's plenty to bet on at betonline.ag. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we here at Locked On trust, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On. Easy to remember. It's just Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. As I mentioned, plenty of football, NFL games, bowl season's over for college football, but you got plenty of college basketball, NBA action, futures bets for the season. Um, I mean, simply don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We talked about betonline.ag. Um, as long as you're signing up for an account, and I'm sure you are using the promo code locked on for 50% uh, for your 50% bonus. But while you're at it, listen to Locked On Bets, our brand new podcast. 2020 is finally and mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start 
and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. I can tell you they are on a roll and they are fantastic. Listen to your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets. All right, let's talk uh, about Nikola Jokic. And there's been kind of this fun back and forth between Jokic and Towns when the teams play. They Obviously, their games are very different. Um, and they're probably the two best centers in the league, um, I guess, this side of Anthony Davis. The, it's certainly the, the two best offensive centers in the league, this side of Anthony Davis. And, um, I mean, their head-to-head battles have been fun outside of game 82 a few years ago. For the most part, Jokic has gotten the better of Towns. Um, and, you know, it seems like half the time they're both into foul trouble trying to guard each other. But the way that the Nuggets use Jokic is fascinating. Um, they play super slow. We talked about this the other day, previewing Sunday's game uh, on, on the weekend episode of the podcast, that the Nuggets play one of the slowest paces in the league, and they do that intentionally. They can slow the game down with Jokic. Sometimes he'll run the break at a methodical, almost glacial pace um, and just kind of pick you apart in slow motion. Go back and look at uh, everything that Jokic did the other day against the Timberwolves, and it was extremely methodical. He got into foul trouble early, um, left the game with the Nuggets up seven or eight, and then by the time he came back in, it was like a one-possession game. They ended up being seven at halftime, and he was in the game for most of the third when the Wolves played well, but it was like a switch flipped in the fourth quarter, and Jokic suddenly was just dealing, um, almost like D'Angelo Russell was for the Wolves in the third. All of a sudden, Jokic was just... Um, you know, making perfect passes all over the court. He was completely controlling not only the pace of the game, but also the success of the Nuggets offense. Um, then Jokic had 12 assists. He's averaging a triple-double this season. He had 12 assists against the Wolves on Sunday. Three of them came with him running the break in transition. Not fast. I wouldn't call it a fast break. I would just call it the break in transition where he would just kind of drill up the court slowly and find an open shooter. I think all three of those assists, I believe, were or two of the three maybe were spot up three point shooters where Jokic just kind of pinpointed somebody in the corner and, and flung him the ball and they hit the three and there's another assist for for Jokic. Um, four of his assists, four of his 12, so three were in transition, four of the 12 assists came in dribble handoff situations where Jokic would get the ball and would hand off, I think all of them were to Jamal Murray, if I'm not mistaken, and they would just jet to the basket um, and, and get a layup or a dunk or get fouled um, in the process, or I should say, and or get fouled in the process. Um, the Wolves struggled to cover it. Uh, a couple of times, Jared Culver was just simply beat. I mean, he was kind of in position, but then Murray would just beat him to the rim. There was one where Jokic had a really nice screen. The other one, Culver got through it um, on the handoff, but then Murray just jet to the rim and beat him. Uh, Malik Beasley, there was one towards the end of the game where Beasley just didn't even bother to try and get through the screen and there was no communication and and him and Nas Reed stayed with Jokic and whoever the player, whoever the shooter was for the Nuggets knocked down a bucket on the uh, off the handoff. And um, the Nuggets just do this where they give Jokic the ball somewhere near the top of the key, occasionally in the high post, and he'll, or, or really more on the mid post on the wing. And he'll, he'll just hand it off to Jamal Murray or, or Will Barton or somebody, and they'll get a, an easy open mid range jumper, or they'll go right to the basket and create havoc. I, you know, the Timberwolves, it's, it's obviously a very different offense than what the Timberwolves are trying to do, but the Wolves can put Towns in a similar sort of situation and have similar success. The problem is Malik Beasley is the only guy on the Timberwolves that can take a dribble handoff and go directly to the basket and have success. That's not D'Angelo Russell's game. It's not, I mean, in theory, it could be Josh Okogie, but he doesn't have quite a tight enough handle or the awareness necessary to do that and to be successful. Jarrett Culver should get there. He's not there really. Um, 
it's the sort of thing the Wolves could do on offense with Beasley and with Towns if Towns were healthy and and they were and we'll get into how Beasley's had success here in a minute because the two are are related how the Nuggets use Jokic and how the Wolves kind of are and should do more of using Beasley for to uh, to generate offense. Um, Jokic had six of his twelve assists in the fourth quarter as the Nuggets pulled away, and this was just. This was just, I think one was in transition. I think two or three were dribble handoffs. He had a couple where he just had face-up situations on the perimeter and the Wolves either jumped at a pump fake, which, you know, if Jokic is going to shoot a three, fine. I don't think he attempted. I think he was 0 for 1 on threes in the game. Don't jump at his pump fake, Nas Reed or at Davis, or I think it was Nas Reed mostly that was guilty of it. Um, let him shoot the three. Otherwise, he's going to dribble slowly past you and pick you apart, uh, just like a point guard would do. Um, there were a couple face-up situations where he just saw somebody and, and you know, threw a cross-court pass or, or threw a dime, um, you know, just kind of whipped a one-handed pass to somebody open. And frankly, some of it's indefensible. I mean, I mean, the the Wolves didn't play great defense against the Nuggets, they, but they were okay. Um, and you look at Jokic's 12 assists and there's a couple, as I mentioned earlier, there's a couple of the Wolves just didn't fight through the screen hard enough or they didn't communicate. And those are the ones that are the issues. There were a couple that they actually defended fairly well and the Nuggets just scored and that's going to happen. Um, but if four of the 12 assists are ones that you messed up defensively, that's four buckets the Nuggets shouldn't have gotten. And it's cleaning those up. Sometimes you tip your cap. It's the NBA. Teams are going to score you know, hundred ish points a game every night or more, <laughs> frankly, more, um, especially against the Timberwolves. But there's a handful of these possessions a game that the Wolves just throw away because they're not communicating or they're just not playing hard enough, getting through screens quick enough, uh, being physical enough. Those are the things that have to get cleaned up. And those are the things that make the difference between a good team that gives up some points because it's the NBA and a non-playoff team or a bad team that's giving up an extra I don't know. I mean, that's just four possessions just on Jokic handoffs, basically. Um, look at the rest of the game and how many of those possessions are an issue. So on the one hand, it's brilliant offense by the Nuggets, and Jokic is a fantastic player, an outstanding passer, um, and and is the only center in the league who could argue that he's a more effective offensive player than Carl Anthony Towns at this stage because of his passing ability. Um, and, you know, it's it's certainly partly that. But the Wolves need to find a way to limit some of the other offensive opportunities for the Nuggets or at least limit those easy buckets um, in this game. Uh, So look for more of the same from Denver. What the Wolves can do differently is fight through those screens, communicate better on what the plan is on the dribble handoffs, communicate better in transition. There was one bucket where uh, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think basically it was Nas and Beasley maybe or Edwards, I think, was involved. Just nobody covered uh, whoever the wing was for the Nuggets and Jokic threw a pass for a wide open three in transition because there were two guys that went into the paint and nobody that stayed on the perimeter with the shooter. And that's, again, an issue that can't happen consistently. And if it does, that's why you lose these games that you were up leading, you know, leading going into the fourth quarter. All right, so what I want to do next is talk about how the Wolves have used Malik Beasley in their offense, how they should be using Malik Beasley in their offense based on what the, what the numbers have told us so far this year and what we know about Malik Beasley's skill set and what he does well. Before we do that, though, let's talk about our outstanding friends at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and 
in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. And best of all, if I haven't said it enough, I'm going to say it again. The prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. East meets West in Locked On NBA Tuesdays. Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors, and David Ramil, host of Locked On Heat, tackle the biggest NBA stories of the day, coast to coast. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about Malik Beasley and his role in the Timberwolves offense. He's been easily the Wolves' best all-around player this year, in my opinion. I mean, certainly on offense uh, and obviously throwing out the two games that Towns played. But I think on both ends of the floor, he's certainly had some defensive issues, um, some lapses. There's some consistency issues still. Um, and, you know, I mentioned that related to uh, there was one play where Jokic, there was a handoff and Beasley just kind of gave up. Those things are still happening. For the most part, however, he's locked in. He's playing hard on both ends of the floor. He's rebounding the ball extremely well. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but his role within the Wolves offense is really, really important with no Carl Anthony Towns. It's a little bit unique because Beasley doesn't create for himself. The way that the Wolves offense works is they don't have a ton of just isolation possessions. In fact, Beasley's not once this year operated in an isolation scenario because he's always, there's always a play, a play being drawn up where he can get a spot up look, um, or he's scoring in transition, or as I'm going to get to in a second, handles the ball in the pick and roll a little bit, and then also uh, will we'll score on, on dribble handoffs. And um, I think with Beasley, we, we talked about this a little bit in the offseason. His offensive game is limited a little bit in that he doesn't put the ball on the floor a ton. He's not known for getting into the paint and scoring much unless it's in transition. But as a cutter, he's really successful because he's so quick and he's athletic and he can get downhill very quickly. And that's kind of the theme of breaking down Beasley's offensive game. Beasley's best in transition, or if he can get downhill quickly. Um, look at all of his shot attempts from from his last couple of games, which have been his, his two best games of the season, the loss to Washington on Friday and to Denver on Sunday. Um, a good chunk of, what, of his damage is being done in transition. There's And a lot of times, there's actually, I think, three plays from the Denver game where it's basically a give and go, where Beasley's coming down the court with the ball, passes it to Rubio, um, or I think once was D'Lo, once was Rubio. They pass it right back to him as he cuts to the basket and he gets a foul or he scores. Um, that's a really effective way to use Malik Beasley because he can pass the ball off and then basically hit the turbo button without the ball in his hands, get going downhill, catch the ball on a cut to the basket and score. Um, that's a really effective way to use Beasley. Or he stops on a diamond transition and can shoot a three-pointer because he has a super quick release. He's an above average three-point shooter. His shot's finally coming around. He's at about 35% so far this year, but he's going to be closer to 40% when it's all said and done. As a cutter, as a spot-up shooter in transition are the best ways to use Malik Beasley. With both D'Angelo Russell and Ricky Rubio on the team, the Wolves have plenty of guys that should be able to get him the ball. And 
frankly, the Wolves should be running these actions for Beasley almost every time down the floor instead of, you know, just kind of running back these D-low pick and rolls over and over and over. Now, on the other side of things, having Beasley spotted up in the opposite corner isn't a bad thing to do either if you're going to use some possessions with D-low handling. Um, and, and I mean, he should, to be clear, D'Angelo Russell's a good offensive player. He should be handling in the pick and roll, but the Wolves need to to have some of these variants uh, or variations of these different sets where Beasley's getting himself open more often um, coming off of screens for spot-up opportunities. So far this season, and again, I wrote about this at Duncan with Wolves, um, and this is following the Washington game on Sunday, or excuse me, the, uh, the Denver game on Sunday. So the stats are up to date. Beasley's scoring 1.2 points per possession, finishing a play as a cutter, um, but only about 10% of his possessions, I think it was 9.6%, are used as a cutter. 26% of his possessions are in a spot-up situation, which a lot of times is um, is in the exact situation I described, where Beasley, or excuse me, where uh, Russell or Rubio is coming off of a screen and sees Beasley spotted up, and he's scoring 1.11 points per possession as a spot-up uh, in a spot-up situation, which is a little bit lower than you'd like it to be, but also remember, he's shooting about 35% from three. That number is going to come up a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, I think both of those are solid uses of Malik Beasley as a cutter, as a spot up shooter. The other thing that the Wolves need to do more often, um, is handoffs. And I talked about this with Jokic as, as the big man, um, handing the ball off to Jamal Murray, Beasley scores 1.46 points per possession so far this year. Again, a, a very small sample size, six games as the uh, recipient of a handoff. He's that's 12 and a half percent of, of possessions that Beasley's, uh, finishing are handoffs. And again, just under one and a half points per possession, which is a fantastic mark. And again, well, it's admittedly a small sample size. You look at his career and he's always been good in those situations, albeit not one and a half points per possession when you start looking at a, a more reasonable sample. Um, but his skill set as somebody who is a little bit limited off the dribble, but super athletic and great at the rim and also a good shooter, um, you know, sometimes in handoff situations with the Nuggets, Jamal Murray will take a dribble, um, you know, find his balance, take a step back and knock down a jumper. Um, Beasley has a similar skill set in that sense than Jamal Murray. He's not necessarily going to create his own shot as much as Murray does, but as as far as being a shooter and scoring in the paint, he can do those things. The Wolves can put him in that situation if they run more handoffs. Um, it's easier with Towns on the floor, obviously. The reason this works so well with Jokic is because Jokic is such a dynamic player and he can create for others and he can always, you know, pump fake and take a dribble, get into the paint and, and, you know, sling a pass into the corner for an open three or score himself or get fouled, which he's very good at doing. He can just back his way into the post. There's lots of different things Jokic can do out of that situation. It's a little more challenging if the Wolves are trying to run dribble handoffs with, say, Ed Davis. Um, he's not nearly anywhere in the, anywhere in the realm, the universe of, of offensive threats as a Jokic or a Towns. Could you do it with Nas Reed? It'd maybe be a little bit more effective and Nas is a good passer too. Um, and so I think that could work to some extent. Um, but that's the sort of situation the Wolves need to find themselves in with Malik Beasley to get him the ball in in advantageous positions to score. Because when when you can do that, he's such an effective scorer. The problem is when he tries to overextend his game and score off the dribble too often. Um, but if the Wolves can keep him in his game, give him those opportunities, he'll be an effective and an efficient scorer and should be able to lead this team in scoring with Towns out. I, I truly believe that Beasley's a a more dynamic offensive player um, than D'Angelo Russell in a lot of ways. The difference is Russell can get his own shot off the bounce if he needs to. Beasley can't, or, or at least not with the same efficiency as as uh, D'Angelo Russell does when he's playing at his best. 
Beasley needs to be run off these dribble handoffs. He needs to occasionally operate in the pick and roll. He needs to score in transition. And he's so much more dynamic and athletic than a player like D'Angelo Russell. The Wolves need to find a way to get him the ball in the situations where he um, has the most, uh, the most, the, the best opportunity for success. And if he's in those situations, he's going to convert at a high rate. And we've seen that, especially over the past couple of games, um, but almost progressively outside of opening night, he had a couple stinkers uh, there in LA. I think Utah and LA, the first game in LA. But then since the Clippers game on, the Clippers, Wizards, uh, Nuggets on Sunday, he's continued to improve his game. I would expect more of the same in Denver. He obviously has uh, wants to succeed against the Nuggets. Um, and and, you know, he's in Denver, obviously no fans, but he's in Denver on Tuesday night. I would imagine that we're going to see more of the same with Beasley. And if the Wolves can take a, uh, you know, a half page out of the Nuggets book with how they use Jamal Murray in dribble handoff situations, do a little bit more of that with Beasley, um, get the ball out and transition as much as they can. And obviously that starts with defense, get him more opportunities to score. I think they'll be in a, they'll be in a good spot. All right, that's all we have for you today on the show. Enjoy Wolves Nuggets this evening. Hopefully, the Wolves can get back to three and four and split the home and home with Denver. Of course, we'll have Wednesday's show. We'll look at studs and duds from the game, anything else notable that comes out of the game. We'll also look at power rankings this week from ESPN, SI, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, everybody that publishes NBA power rankings. We'll look at what the Wolves, uh, their movement from week one to week two, and uh, look ahead at the rest of the week as well. And obviously, this is a daily show, so we'll be with you Thursday and Friday as well as we look ahead to a pair of games against the San Antonio Spurs coming up soon. That's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Don't forget the T. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.